0: the masses. Headline edition, July 8th, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army.
1: If the game is rigged, change the game. Game changer. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world.
0: This is Fade to Black with your host, Jimmy Church, on the Game Changer Radio Network and KGRA, the Global Radio Alliance.
1: I need your help to get to the year 1985.
0: You are listening to Fade to Black with Jimmy Church on the Game
1: Changer Network. bespoke radio for the masses how you doing today is wednesday wednesday september 4th 2019 246 days into the new year, just 119 days left. We are live from a bunker somewhere in the middle of beautiful downtown Burbank, California. I would like to welcome everybody listening all around the world, all across the United States. Hither and thither, to and fro, back and forth. Up and down, east and west, north and south, far and near. This is Fade to Black for KJCR, the Game Changer Network, and KGRA, the planet. I am your host, Jimmy Church. What is cracking, everybody? How you doing? How you doing? All right. Tonight, tonight we have very special guest, Emery Smith is here. We're going to have a a very, uh, uh, what's the word, a productive, open conversation tonight. We're going to do all of that. Emery will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. And then tomorrow night is fader night. Open lines all night long. I know. We haven't had a fader night in a month. You know, lots of different reasons why we, you know, I... I was in the hospital, and then this happened, and my back, and my neck, and my 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 leg, and <laughs> I just <laughs> I fell apart momentarily, and then we had to move guests around, and then we had to occupy a couple of fader nights, and there's probably a holiday or two in there as well, But but for whatever the reasons are, we haven't had a fader night in a month, so tomorrow night, Open lines all night long. I know I threatened you with an AMA. No, I'm not going to do that. We'll do that next week. But uh, tomorrow night, open lines. And it's my favorite night of the week. And I haven't been able to do that for a month. Hard to believe. But tomorrow night's Fader night, open lines all night long. Follow us on Twitter at J Church Radio. Simple at J Church Radio. Tonight it's Emery. In 1990. He became active duty in the United States Air Force, was stationed at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. From there, he went on to surgical tech training at Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas. And then on to England Air Force Base in the 23rd Tactical Fighter Wing located in Alexandria, Louisiana. Finally, Emery was transferred to Kirkland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where he worked on and off. Uh, base at UNM Hospital as a surgical assistant and as a paramedic. He was certified in surgical apprenticeship and also worked as a hazmat instructor, EMT, terrorist negotiation coordinator, flight medic specialist, surgical technologist, expert marksman, chemical warfare specialist, biotech warfare specialist, and led decon response units. During this time, Emory developed the first military industrial laboratory tissue database complex that was used for a joint civilian-military venture in sharing tissue sample data of varying origins collected from classified areas. Working at the laboratories became a milestone for him in his pursuit of the truth. And today, he openly talks about his experience working at these facilities. His website is emorysmith.net, And I would like to welcome back to Fade to Black. Mr. Emery Smith, Emery, good evening. How are you, man? Oh, great, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on the show again. It's always a pleasure. It's uh, great to hear your voice. I hope all is well. And uh, actually, you know what, Emery, I'm going to start here. Let's hit the ground running. All right, let, let, let's That's go. Good. Let's go here first. Um, it, it never before in the history of this planet has UFOs and and the subject of ETs, been in the mainstream media like it is today. These are exciting times, aren't they?
0: Absolutely, Jimmy. I mean, especially since I came forward, I've seen a jump in the transition of the government, you know, trying to uh, get together and, you know, start making a plan of what are we going to tell the people? And they're slowly breaking the civilians in, by showing, you know, footage that's blurry, um, you know, reporting, um, from the media saying, you know, people are seeing this. The media is picking up on, um, extraterrestrial vehicles now and reporting them. And every now and then things get through. I know there's a lot more going on, uh, that the world doesn't really know about. It's a, it's an inner, uh, celestial highway up there in our atmosphere. And uh, every now and then there, you know, are some cracks that do come down. And they're also craft up there, but uh, so I'm very really excited to see uh, more and more of this disclosure if you would happening at a more rapid rate uh,
1: if, if I can ask you Emery to uh, take out your headset and microphone and uh, let's uh let's go direct into the phone you got it okay and uh i'm only saying that because it just you know I, I just i want the audience to hear every word right every word um and i i i think that this this last two years uh that the world in general whether it's m- mainstream media or just the average person on the street is is okay talking about ufo's where in the past it was totally taboo, and it was difficult for anybody to talk about it without having somebody react strangely, right?
0: No, it hasn't. Even, you know, as a matter of fact, look what the military's doing, you know, making it public, saying, you know, hey, you guys are now allowed to report unidentified flying objects or whatever they're going to be calling them. And I know that's not 100% true. They're not going to really get that information to the public, you know, as much as a civilian um, has a lot better access of getting something out to the media, for sure, because they're always looking for a story in these small towns.
1: I wanted to, uh, for clarification, for total transparency, um, in the past on this program, I had mentioned 3,000 alien autopsies. Uh, that you had performed, and was was I in error uh, with that data that was was given to me? I need to f- uh, understand. This has been brought up over and over again from uh, members of this community, where there are just like three thousand alien bodies, and I have to question what I was right. saying. Um, can you help me? What? Was it 3,000 yeah, I mean, know, alien course, bodies?
0: No, there, there's not three. Number one, I've never used the word 3,000 alien autopsies because all I was doing, um, I've done about 3,000 or more tissue samples uh, off of tissues. Now, what, these beings are not all extraterrestrial. Some are hybrid. Some are actually grown there. I've uh, come to find out later on. So, you know, it's not, number one, it's not 3,000 bodies. I know this is three thousand tissue samples. Where in one day you can get ten to fifteen samples from one being, um, or a part of the being, or an organ of that being, and you might revisit that same being um, maybe six months down the road uh, to get more samples. Mm-hmm. So these are samples. This is not actual full body autopsies, and um, and a lot of these species were mostly human in form, um, just so that the public knows it's not like three three thousand different extraterrestrial species. It was definitely not like that. And I know that somehow got out through some colleagues. I think they were, you know, just talking about me. I think the pop culture got involved and just said, you know, this guy is, you know, the the guy who does the chop shop and uh, a lot of negativity uh, behind it, which I don't like being called a whistleblower or anything like that. Uh, I'm just an insider and just here to tell the story, you know, what happened to my life.
1: All right. Now, uh, moving on from that, because I need a clarification uh, for myself, sure, you know, if course. I, if, you know, if I ever talk about this in the future, I need to uh, I need to be absolutely accurate with that. I, I thank you for answering. Um, you recently got back. One of my favorite things to do is uh, to go out and, and sky watch and, and going out with a group of uh, people or friends and and looking to the skies and checking things out. And I was watching some of your stuff. I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this, uh, that was going on up at Shasta. And you also did a Q&A up there, too, as well. Um, what did you guys – who was there? Uh, what did you do up at Shasta? Oh,
0: yeah. Well, you know, we're, we are filming, um, you know, our docu-series, The Beans. And um, you know, guys are going to see that in the future. And also, we're doing a lot of Patreon stuff uh, that's going to be starting up here in the next month. And what we did is we first, I was invited uh, to the uh, the Shambhala Monastery there in uh, uh, Kellysville, California. And uh, that's where Buddha Matreya has his uh, beautiful compound out there. So such a nice setup with the pyramid and the dome homes and the underground catacombs. They do a lot of amazing regenerative healing. So I first did a stop there for about uh, two days and uh, did some filming there with them, some interviews and learned their technologies of healing and regenerative medicine. I wanted to know what they were doing, also if I could help them get some new technology in there. And it was, just, it was such a pleasant place to be. The whole uh, place is built on a, uh, a mound of obsidian. So they actually you know, had to dig down into the obsidian uh, to make this facility. So from there, I was invited to speak at the I Am School in Shasta, California. I just love Shasta. I go there once a year at least. And um, the IM School is just, just a beautiful um, in, integrative, integrative uh, consciousness and science together. And um, the uh, the woman I was uh, in contact with, Erica, had set up this uh, teaching uh, day where I could come in and teach all the kids. Um, ages were I think from uh, thirteen to eighteen. Um, and they were, it was so received so well. They had really great questions. And, um, and I did this all in volunteer because I just love children. I wanted to go out and, and teach at the schools. So when I was asked to come out there. I did it. And in turn, they turned around and said, Hey, why don't we set up a Q and A for you? So you can, um, at least make some money back to pay for your team. Cause I go with a big team, as you know, mm-hmm. everywhere I go. And, uh, I said, well, that'd be fantastic. So with just within a week of just, uh, you know, getting the word out there. Uh, 70 people showed up at the Q and A. It was so beautiful at the bottom of the uh, Shasta ski resort there. And it was out, outside and the sun was setting and Shasta was behind me as I was speaking and Shastina, I won't leave her out. And it was just a beautiful setting. And the people there had some really good conscious questions and the children were there as well. And I made the children memorize, uh, like when we go out on our expeditions with our core team, I have everyone memorize about 300 questions before going out and doing our contact work. Um, because once you meet an extraterrestrial you know, face-to-face, it, the information is less than a second. And those questions are all answered. So I had these students uh, just memorize five questions. Like, what would you ask a person from another civilization? And they had some amazing questions, really uh, Really conscious questions and very scientific too.
1: Do you remember any um, of? Do you remember, Do you remember any of the questions that they had?
0: Yeah, a lot of them were like, "Why are you here? Um, what technology can you share with us uh, to help us clean up the planet?" That was my favorite one. Um, you know, where are you from? What is it like there? Um, you know, a lot of questions about, you know, how, how you know, where are they from? Why are you here? What's the agenda? Can you please share some technology to help us clean the planet up? You know, can you teach us telepathy? You know, a lot of educational, very uh, mature type of questions that, that are just working with, with kids. The questions are so different than the adults. It's just night and day because they're more about you know, creating. They're more, more about helping the planet, helping each other. Um, while uh, adults are more like, give me your weapons. You know, how did you make, you know, this craft? What, you know, what's the propulsion unit on this craft? It's just a different dynamic. You can see the sincerity in the children. And of course, adults too are very sincere, uh, but it's just a different aspect that I've been noticing when teaching children um, compared to the adults. So, we had the adults and children came out that night for the Q and A, and then after the Q and A, I decided it was such a beautiful night. I decided to stay and do a little contact work, and basically within about uh, seven minutes into it, I think they told me on, on film here we started having all this lovely activity, you know, in the uh, in the sky, and you know these are alleged meteorites and, and other phenomena. And we, of course, we did a, a, a small meditation that evening and, um, and did an ohm, you know, and just try to break in this group of 70 people, you know, holding hands and being of the same uh, vibratory frequency so we can all have the same experience. Cause, you know, if you get a couple people in there that are afraid, you know, they're not going to come too close and, you know, let you kick the tires on, on the craft there. Um, and, But everyone got to see something. I brought my night vision goggle sets and passed them around, and people were brought up to a whole new world of the universe because you could see so much more stars with that, so many more craft. And out of the 70 people, believe it or not, two of them, um, two of them were the only two that they said actually experienced contact, like going out trying to make contact. So we had a good 68 people there for their very first time making contact. And, uh, you know, we stayed there, I think, another hour and a half, two hours uh, after that and just had had a miraculous time. And they're going to be posting those uh, videos and pictures up in the near future on my website.
1: What What did you guys end up seeing?
0: Well, we saw, uh, number one, we saw a lot of discs. There was a gold disc and a blue disc that uh, fluxed in and fluxed out. Uh, Many people saw it. We also had very slow moving types of uh, meteors kind of look like, uh, not comets, but, you know, when we have really close meteor showers where it streaks across the whole sky, well, these would go really slow, leaving this, you know, aura of light behind it, um, which I know we do have uh, captured on film, I do believe. And a lot of people were taking pictures as well, but they didn't have the right equipment for it. And we didn't come uh, packed to have, you know, the special equipment. We just had all the night vision goggles. And and uh, lasers and contact stuff, uh, such as the electromagnetic uh, tri-field meter um, and the storm trackers that we normally use on these expeditions. But the people were just so enthralled that no one wanted to go home. Uh, People were starting to go to their cars and bring out blankets and lay down. And it was just a really joyful night uh, that ended so peacefully and lovely uh, with uh, a signaling. Uh, At the end of the night, we we always say, if there's anything else you'd like to show us or appear, if it's safe and effective for you. And um, after about a minute, we had a bunch of, of these uh, these strobe lights going off uh, right above us in the zenith.
1: Isn't it, now you had 68 people that were experiencing this for the first time, and I have been in that atmosphere. It is so much fun to have people uh, see this for the first time, because I remember the first time I went out on a sky watch and I know how it changed me. And I, I, I totally enjoy watching somebody else uh, experience it for the first time. And if you had 68 people out there doing this for the first time, how, how much fun can one person have must've been great.
0: And plus knowing that we had the children there, which, you know, it's it's sad, but we're going to start doing this for the children because the children are our future, and that's where we really need to focus the education. Um, the only reason you and I are going to be around Jimmy is because of the children today. So we really got to take care of them and educate them and steer them in you know the right direction and allow them, of course, to make their own free will choice. But give them the right science, the right facts, the right history, uh, and the right educational consciousness teachings, so they can make you know a conscious decision as they as they grow and change. And so being out there not only with the adults but with you know a third of them are are children of various ages and seeing how receptive they were and I remember there was a, a smaller child right next to me probably about 5 high and he was always holding on to my leg and following me around that night and he said he was going to help me bring bring them in he said something to that fact not quote unquote but something about, he's going to help me. And I I just started almost crying. I was like, this guy's great. Look at this. They are so, everyone's looking up and around and being aware and and really trying to get these guys then. And that was just, you know, a couple of hours of work, which usually takes, you know, five to six days of people, you know, really getting on the same level and frequency and vibration to make contact. So it happened really quickly. So I was blessed to be surrounded by a bunch of lovely people who, um, really got into it and really had a great time
1: well why why do you think it is uh that because if you go back to when you and i were children uh and if we had the chance to talk to an extraterrestrial uh the last thing that we would think about is 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 the planet or humanity or feeding or anything like that we would want to know can you teleport you know <laughs> You know, I, I, you know, yeah. we, we, we would ask those questions, uh, which are the same questions that we would ask today as adults, and and I totally get where you're coming from. Why why do you think the children today are so different uh, from when you and I were younger? I'm glad
0: you asked that because I've been looking into this and studying this psychology behind it, and it really has to do with who they're surrounded by. So it's up to the parents and
1: Family members who are
0: raising that child to educate them about not only great things about earth, but also the negative aspects. So I do believe that these children were really aware about the threat that Earth is under and about the destruction we're we're doing to it. And that was really educational for me to see that they really have done their homework. And of course, the school, the IM school teaches about all this as well. So they're getting a Instead of being in a public school where you're kind of programmed a certain way and that's all there is for the curriculum, uh, this school allows the students to kind of they're off on their own you know journey and their own thoughts uh, and, a, and they, in, a, in a really nice uh, space where they can be creative and talk out loud about it without being chastised. So I think that has a lot to do do with it is the, the parents and the, the the teachers that are out there uh, especially that can slip things in is really important because they're the ones that are making the difference for our future.
1: I need you to uh, position yourself wherever you're at, uh, to get some better reception. And, uh, so just, uh, you can go ahead and do that, but, um, yeah, get some more bars for me, Emery, give me, give me some more bars. Um, Okay. And the the new, this docu-series that you're uh, out there shooting right now, uh, The Beings, is this something that we can talk about?
0: Yeah, um, we haven't released the trailer yet. Uh, that will be coming out. Can you hear me okay now? Steve? Yeah,
1: I got you. I got you.
0: Okay. Yeah, so The Beings, uh, we've been filming this now for over two years. Uh, we still have another year to go. Um we will be visiting places uh, and collecting uh, DNA from uh, unknown origin uh, tissue samples, and um, me and Miss Sky will be traveling the planet, and you guys will be coming with us. So that'll be quite the journey. So you guys can see what we actually do in the field and how we collect data and how we bring it back to you know the universities to get tested. Uh, um, and it's a, it's just a, a really great adventure story, um, and it's live. It's like a real deal. This is like what we do um, when we go on our expeditions, and it is very. Uh, it can be very scary sometimes, and being in different countries, and uh, you know, working with uh, the political government, we got access to a lot a lot of archaeological sites which have never been in, um, shown before, and um, also there's a lot of different money that are out there that are coming out. So I think we have a great lineup as far as where we're going to be taking everyone on the journey with us, uh, with our GoPros and our film crew, to show you, hey, this is how we actually find something. This is how we found it. These are the connections that it takes to get into these countries, get into these archaeological sites with all the uh, certificates and licensing you need to do this, and also the favors you have to do, um, which we'll get into later. But yeah, so it's going to be a really exciting, adventure packed a type of um, you know on-site plus bringing in um, other you know knowledgeable people and scientists and physicians that have worked with us in the past to get their take on it as well.
1: How do you choose uh, a university, a school or a laboratory to test these samples? Uh, are they blind samples? What do you tell them, uh, you know, where well, this stuff yeah, is coming from? Is
0: like, yeah, that's a great, that's awesome. What, what we do, Jimmy, is just like I did with the Atacama bean. You know, we went over to Barcelona. I collected the sample. I took it back to Stanford. Dr. Gary Nolan, we picked Gary Nolan because he was the most upcoming uh, geneticist out there. And, of course, I don't exist. Greer doesn't exist. Um, we can't be those people because we're bringing these specimens back. Uh, so we decided, well, let's, you know, of course, pick the best of the best to say, hey, what is this? And that's kind of what we did. We gave them, said, can you please tell us, you know, what this is, you know, it came from, uh, you know, a possible uh, mummy. And we didn't say anything else. And then we sent all, you know, then we said, hey, let's send all the CAT scans and MRIs and X-rays to the world's leading Pediatric bone specialist who wrote the book literally on, you know, uh, pediatric bone, uh, orthopedic surgery. And uh, that's Dr. Lockman. And he, you know, came back and wrote his report. And Gary's initial report, you know, showed that it was not uh, uh, that much human. Uh, so that's what happened. And, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of replicate that and show you guys what it takes. So we picked people that are very influential, that have a, a tremendous academic background. And we say, hey, test this, but I'm doing a different twist on it because I'm not just testing it at one place, which I think was a bad idea because, you know, things can happen. Mistakes can happen in um, the military industrial complex. What we would do is, you know, there would be maybe I would take a sample of something from one uh, a tissue sample. From this piece of tissue and maybe three others would also take samples that they have the same tissue and it would go out to maybe five or six different testing facilities so then they would compare data so what i what i'm going to do is when i get these tissue samples there will be three you know unknown um, to each other uh, facilities and universities that are qualified to test these samples and then and also include the scientific community, so everyone can see the data as we're processing it. So it's no, there's no secrets going on or shenanigans. To you know, to show the public, this is how we did it, and we have three different test results. Let's go through all three of those right now with the head physician and see, you know, if they match up. It, it, the
1: uh, the series we have to wait for another year. How much of it is uh, shot and in the can?
0: Uh. Actually more than, more than half. So I believe, uh, they might be putting, I, I don't know for sure, but I was talking to my director and the uh, producer and they said they might be releasing some trailers and maybe some tidbits, uh, in, in the near future before it gets launched next year. So they're also thinking about maybe, you know, working with different networks to have more of like 30 minute clips and then bring it all together or there might be also three one-hour, uh, like in a docu-series, you know, we're going to have like maybe three one-hour uh, clips. But we'll, that's, that's still up in the air, but the footage is already amazing and outstanding. And we, the, the most adventure we're going to have is this next uh, six to seven months, we're going to be going to a couple of really amazing places, uh, such as Mexico and Africa, um, to uncover some pretty phenomenal things and to approve or disapprove. And try to find out, you know, what what is this? You know, what is this artifact? What is the DNA of this uh, piece of tissue? And really get into the nuts and bolts and make it also very uh, educational. And uh, b- bringing the viewer with us. So they really believe they're right there next to our side.
1: That's pretty exciting stuff. And uh, we need to take a break. And we'll do that right here. Our guest tonight is Emery Smith. I am your host, Jimmy Church. This is Fade to Black. On the Game Changer Network and KGRA The Planet, you can follow me on Twitter at J Radio. You can follow Emery on Twitter, EmerySmith33. Of course, the links are right up in the sandbox, and we'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. Welcome back. Fade to black. I'm your host, Jimmy Church. Our guest tonight, Emery Smith. Let's get straight back to it. And uh, Emery, you and I, uh, you had mentioned <laughs> to me uh, a couple of weeks ago um, in, a, in a very cryptic way. You said, um, I'm in Washington, D.C., and you had sent me a picture from your hotel window. It uh, looked like um, uh, one of the monuments out there. Uh, and it was pretty cool. But that's all that I got. What were you doing in Washington, D.C.? Well, what I, what I can say
0: is that I was over there initially to help a, a daughter of a VIP uh, that was ill. Uh, but uh, as soon as I arrived in D.C., everyone kind of knew I was there. And um, I got to go sit in on a meeting with some uh, political figures and large corporations. And they were talking about extraterrestrial agendas of, you know, how are we going to bring this to fruition? How are we going to explain to the public? Um, And there was two other people there with similar classifications that I had back in the day. um, And they were asking us to, you know, help help them uh, do this. Project, but I just didn't feel right with it because of the people that were there and the corporations involved. And you know, I just didn't want to be a puppeteer for anyone or sign my life away for anything. So I turned that down, and that's about all I can say about that. Um, so I won't get in trouble.
1: <laughs> I, I, they wanted to what push disclosure forward and use use Correct. you to help facilitate it.
0: Correct and there there and it's not just me there are other figures there that um that attended that they were trying to you know talk to to see if we were up for something like
1: that and uh was it TTSA?
0: No, it wasn't. Actually I get
1: I mean I I told a couple of my friends
0: and family members um but no it wasn't.
1: Interesting. And when you say corporations Uh, you don't have to say specifically, but are we talking like
0: aerospace, uh, communications and, um, energy.
1: So like, uh, Verizon big, like, you know, like Google big or, or, um, you know what I mean?
0: Military and like military industrial complex big.
1: Right. And the bigger ones in the MIA, I should say, or the MIC. Very interesting, and uh, in the end, you declined. Uh, was it because did you feel a little dirty about what that you know they were proposing?:
0: Yeah, it just seemed a little sketchy, to be honest, and um, the plan wasn't completely formulated uh, the, the briefing, and I just wasn't impressed with you know walking into something and not knowing the end plan, like what was the end game, What was the end message? And one thing I will say, and I won't talk anymore, is they wanted to do this over five years, and I was trying to convince them to do it in one year
1: and uh what for i mean for what agenda I mean to inform the public or so they could make money
0: well that that was not clear i mean I'm sure they'll use this to make money. I'm sure you know a lot of technology will come out um because of this agenda um like for instance we'll say for example if a craft crashes somewhere all of a sudden and we were to retrieve it and it had technology in there that boosted our our technology our tech here on the planet i think there would be a lot of money making in that
1: the uh the interest in doing this now i would find the timing suspect you know, we have everything that is happening right now on all fronts, and these conversations are happening, whether it's with the senator or with the Navy or President Trump or television and, and, and mass media. It seems like a, an opportunistic type of proposal that they couldn't do this before, but now people are talking about it, so maybe it's a safe zone. Am I Am I very far off from thinking like that?
0: No, you're dead on, Jimmy. Because what's happening is, you know, all these little cube box satellites are getting put up. That pretty much any civilian now with a half a million dollars can afford one. Um, and what that means is there's going to be a lot of more eyes in the sky, uh, where you can control your own satellite and be anywhere in the world in three minutes. That means zooming in on places with high-powered cameras and special cameras with special filters to divulge information so I, I believe that a lot of disclosure not only happening through gaia earth i mean um because of the melting polar caps and what that's going to show but i also believe a lot of amateur um people with cameras and satellite cameras and telescopes are going to be picking up more and more activity and it's going to force and you know really force the governments to really respond uh because there's going to be too much um Information out there that people are going to be bringing in and and discussing, like what you know, what is what are these pyramids down here in Antarctica? What is this thing sticking out of the ice? Um, they're not going to be able to hide that uh, for much longer with their technology.
1: Did you see the uh, pictures that I posted earlier this week with the coordinates of the face in Antarctica? Yes. Is is that part of what you're talking about? I uh, I want your take on that. The uh, you know on what you feel that you saw it, it. No matter what, if it's natural, if it's if it's man made, none of that matters. To me, it's a face. I, you don't have to use your imagination here, or right. or interpret, or force yourself to see a face. It is clearly a face. I don't know how it got there. What was your first impressions when you saw those uh, images?
0: I thought that was an intentional either disinfo or real info. Um, I'm 50-50. I play devil's advocate even with myself when I see something because there's always a reason. They really didn't want us to see it. They wouldn't show it. So this might be part of that information, you know, getting us programmed, hey, Let's get ready. There might be some life out there. There are still a few people on the planet that do not you know, believe this. And there's also many people on the planet that don't have access to know about this. And the indigenous tribes are on the planet. So I think they're trying to break this in slowly by, you know, every now and then, you know, one of the jet fighters will pick something up on their cameras or, you know, now we have this face down in Antarctica. So you see they slowly bring things in, but no one answers it. You know, the government doesn't answer about this. So you you probably know more about it than I do. I don't follow it. I look at it once and then I go on to the next.
1: Is this something that you would cover, like, say, in in cosmic disclosure?
0: Yeah, this would be something uh, we would put on um, definitely on one of our Gaia programs. Uh, Cosmic would be great for that. I know the producers are really working diligently to get some really good scientists and archaeologists on the show that have firsthand experience. But you know, it is a very sensitive uh, arena and subject uh, because of all the um, all that that's involved that entails for this big cover-up that he, they've been doing for you know 50, 60, 70, 80 years now down um, there. Yeah. So I think you know this is going to be that opportunity. For us to see, you know how the governments are going to respond to this. Especially, the scientific community uh, needs to step it up and um, and find out, you know, what is this? You know, what really is this? Or is this just something that was put there? Uh, did they make this just temporarily so it melts and then we don't see it anymore? Um, you know, there's a many different ways we could play this agenda with this face.
1: I wanted to ask you about a couple of other things that have happened recently, and one of them was. Uh, the leaked uh, Admiral Wilson, uh, Doctor Eric Davis document set. There was 15 pages there. Did you have a chance to look at those documents?
0: Yeah, actually, I read the first seven. Um, I haven't read the last seven. I was going to do that today, but uh, yeah, it, it seems um, it seems legitimate uh, the the way it's written. And of course, you know, I was looking for you know whose signatures are on there and, and the stamps. Of what organizations uh, were uh, military organizations were and what three letter agencies were involved with this and it it, it looked pretty um, pretty authentic to me.
1: Well, uh, the, the on the last page, on page 15, i will bring it up. Yeah, uh, on page 15, it it says, uh, and I can just paraphrase here, but uh, you know what? I'll just pull it up and the uh the way that this is uh presented, it says that the and this is a conversation going down between Eric Davis and Rear Admiral um, uh, uh, Wilson, Thomas Wilson. And the comment that was there says that UFOs are real, abductions are not. Now that's uh mm-hmm. that's a pretty crazy statement uh to make and with something like that uh what do you make of it do you think that the abduction phenomena is is not real or or maybe suggesting that it's well, it's not ET maybe it's these are government uh military abductions or that they're staged yeah, is, maybe by the CIA
0: Yeah that's what he's saying I mean that's what he's saying in this letter you know I always get beat up for this because a lot of the abductees um, you know always challenge me on this but I'm not saying that abductions don't happen I'm saying they happen um, I just don't believe they're all extraterrestrial abductions I, I believe most of these abductions are staged uh, abductions where military is involved for security they don't know what's going on and the private uh, military corporations uh, come in and you know, stage these uh, abductions. I, I believe that what he's saying here, and I'm, you know, have it right in front of me that um, the abductions are not real. because he obviously has some sort of inside information. And uh, he might not know all the information of real abductions, but he's definitely stating that alien, quote unquote, alien abductions are not real, which would lead us to believe that he knows something about the staged abductions. So I'm going with that for sure on this one.
1: And what do you think, uh, uh, what is your opinion uh, outside of this document about alien abductions where we have, uh, you know, direct contact uh, reported by literally uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people on the record, and there's probably millions out there that have had contact that haven't talked about it yet, but this is a huge group of people that are going to stand up and go I'm uh, no they are real so what do we do with that you know what i mean what do we do with the millions out there that have had these experiences and then suddenly the the government's position is that this isn't real so are they suggesting that everybody is has a mental illness of some kind this is some kind of mass mass memory You know that's put out there, Uh, or are they actually real alien abductions?
0: Well, I think what we need to first do is like start categorizing abductions, because we have proof that there are staged staged abductions from military paperwork and from this letter, and also from many uh, insiders. So we know that's happening. Now, what's the other agenda to that? Well. Why do they do that? Why do they do stage, stage abduction first? Let's talk about that. Because in order to get the agenda ready and to prep the world for, let's say, you know, a fake alien invasion, um, as you know, von uh, Braun said one time in his uh, interviews um, that you know there's going to be this fake alien invasion. Well, in order to do that, we first need to build fear into the majority of the population, or at least a very small percentage of it. Using media, using these stage abductions, so they'll go down to you know, um, you know, some small town or even a large town, and stage an abduction right outside of town, and they'll gas the people, you know, um, and those people will, you know, not know what's going on, and the gas will knock them out, and then they could carry them and transport them and pull the car off the side of the road, and let's say take them to a staging facility. Nearby. And as they're groggy waking up, you know, have these beings there with big eyes and big bulging heads and colored in, you know, green skin and surgical masks. And that's what they're going to remember. And they'll give us some more Versed, which makes you forget in surgery. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they wake up, you know, only remembering half of what happened. And it was very terrifying. So then they'll go all the way to Zimbabwe, do the same thing there, same thing in Beijing, same thing in Cebu in the Philippines, same thing in Russia. Same thing in Alaska. They'll go to all these places to do the exact same thing. And then wait a couple of years, and when these investigators are hired to go investigate this, they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy in Fort Myers, Florida, had this same exact story as the guy in Johannesburg, which had the same exact story as the guy in Seoul. So it's like, wow, So these scientists, of course, they're doing their due diligence. These people are having memory recalls, some sort of abduction. Uh, How many of those are real abductions? I don't know the numbers. That's that's what I'm saying. There should be something put in place to really, you know, narrow down what's happening to these these people. Um, So that's like one uh, one of the agendas. The other thing that they can do scientifically is they can, you know, input, you know, these thoughts in your head. They can, you know, take your astral body out of your body when you're, you know, not conscious and give you these these uh, imprints, these bio imprints into the brain um, and memories that you really think this happened. Now, you're still at home, but you really believe you're somewhere else. And it's that real um, of technology that they have today um, in the classified projects to, you know, move. Um, your etheric fields, and uh, also imprint um, memories into your mind. And they do this. This has been proven, of course, in the projects with cloning and, um, and also uh, with some of the hybridization programs they have of, you know, taking consciousness from one being and putting it into another.
1: There, now, the, the reason for doing that, would that be to cover up uh, the sighting of uh, some military black project aircraft that they want you know, some diversion on, and they don't want that disclosed, so they'll use UFOs or ETs as a cover story? Is that the reason for doing it?
0: Yeah, that's that's w- one of the cover-ups is when they do get busted with, you know, like we didn't know about the F-119 for 20, 30 years later, um, and it was already being, you know, built. So imagine what they have today, and people do spot these things, you know, Uh, around the planet every now and then and get them on video and of course it's better to say well that triangle is definitely an extraterrestrial craft it's just hovering there we don't have that technology um because if we say well that's our secret weapon to control the planet that wouldn't go over
1: so well you mean the f-117
0: i'm sorry i'm sorry the f-117
1: yeah i was going to say the f-119 that's that's (laughs) thank you for correcting me yeah that's that's super secret Um, And that, if that is going on, which for me that terrifies me more than than ET's coming to this planet, right? In that our government would do something like this to its own citizens or any any you know country on this planet that would. Well, they've, they've done it in the past, though. I mean, you know, they've done
0: experiments on us in the past. I mean, when we find out later on that they were poisoning us and our children. So I mean what's not to say it's still going on we won't find out about it till you know 50 years down the road and by then everyone's like you know already forgot about what happened to those people
1: Yeah and MK Ultra which right. uh, was a real program and Senator Frank Church of Idaho and 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 his uncovering of that and the ordering you know by the CIA at that point you know destroy all documents Right. And that right. that order went out and people are shredding stuff uh, uh, all across the country, probably around the world. Uh, some documents survived. That's what made it to uh, Congress and the Senate. And uh, this program was revealed. And when when people talk about MK Ultra today, it's more of a science fiction aspect, even even uh, a conspiratorial view of it that it's it's made up like it's tinfoil hat it was a real government program with thousands of people uh ordinary citizens and college students involved in it this isn't a made-up fantasy is it no this is very
0: real and um i definitely believe in my and also my opinion that they are still doing things like this to innocent people um, you know, collecting them for experiments, uh, such as homeless people and people that would not be normally
1: um, missed. I remember uh, this is about a year ago. I, I went through data and I was sent a bunch of data about uh, missing people around the world, right, every year. Right. Uh, yeah. Men, women, children, adults, it it, it doesn't matter. And the amount in this modern day that we live in where we have accountability and we have cell phones and we have GPS and, and we have, you know, real-time access to just about, you know, everybody, certainly in a, in a modern uh, society. And the amount of people that absolutely just go missing, those numbers are unbelievable. Most people don't understand how many people actually go missing each year without a trace. The numbers. And nobody talks about it. No, they don't. They don't.
0: Well, why is that? I, That's what I don't. Well, it's such a huge number. I don't know the exact number now. I haven't checked on it in a
1: year, but yeah, yeah, the the numbers are they're they're unbelievable. Now, what what uh, you would think that eventually they surface right that <laughs> the numbers yeah, start to right. Right, right and the numbers start to equalize themselves and it's not millions of people it's only uh you know 10,000 because they 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 surface later and they're back you know in in society that's not the case i they're gone they vanish
0: yeah that that is something that really should the public should start looking out for and I think organizations need to start inquiring and investigating this phenomenon because there's, and it's not just here in the United States, it's all around the world, especially in uh, third world countries even more, um, and it's not just sex trafficking. You know, these are people going missing, adults, you know, um, older people, senior citizens. Uh, this is a plethora of different age groups that are just gone. And, uh, you can go online and search it and you'll see all the faces there. It's, 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 it's overwhelming to be honest.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you have to look at it that way because you know, I'm 55 years old and if I disappear tomorrow tomorrow. I'm not uh I'm not abducted or kidnapped into a sex trafficking ring. <laughs> That's the last. <laughs> oh no, Jimmy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, that that I can promise you. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of fader knots out there that really want you back. <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah, so we have to look at it that way. You know, it's not just young, you know, boys and girls, it's, yeah. it's, it's, no. it's, it's all across the board and certainly sex trafficking has something to do with it, but it could be ET, uh, it could be something else and it could be, you know, crazy time vortexes and man all, all kinds of explanations out there. I don't know what they are, but the numbers are huge. And I went through it. I went through uh, country by country. And it's, it's not just a United States phenomenon. It's it, it's Canada. It's Australia. It's the United Kingdom. It's Spain. It's it's Germany. It's China. It's Russia. It uh, it goes on all around the world. Well, look, let's take a break right here. I need to get this out of the way. When we come back, we're going to jump into regenerative medicine and what is going on with uh, all of your projects and recent research. It's a very complex and uh uh, comprehensive issue, and we'll get a full explanation of all of it from Emory right after this short break. This is Fade to Black. I'm your host, Church, on the Game Changer Network and KGRA, The Planet. Stay with us. I'm your to church. Our guest tonight, Emery Smith. And uh, very, very interesting conversation uh, so far. And, Emery, uh, a couple of things really quick uh, before we move forward. Uh, I just got a, a text uh, during the break uh, from George Nori. And he's just, so he's <laughs> listening right now so uh Hi, George yeah hello George <laughs> and he said you know be sure to tell uh Emery I said hello so I, I I did that and speaking of George uh and Gaia you know he has his uh show beyond belief and and you've got uh cosmic uh disclosure and uh I kind of danced over that uh really quick I I wanted to uh can can I get secret stuff out of you you know what's upcoming sure. uh do you have Can you talk about guests and things like that? I haven't had a chance to. I would love to. Okay. Is that cool?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll just take some heat for it later, but I think all the fader knots need to know what's coming up. Right on. Right on. You know, I'll I'll bear the heat on this one because we already did it. It's just not shown yet. So this is really inside information. Since I'm an insider, I think we should do this. Yeah. What we got coming up, the good thing is – I have a show out there with Randy Bittenheimer. He's a new new to the scene. You guys gotta check him out. He's amazing. And I just got aired, I think, two shows with Randy Kramer. Now there's there's a guy worth listening to for a little bit. He's got some really interesting, amazing stories of uh, his 20 and back and uh, being on Mars and. There was like a lot of little correlation things he said that really sparked my interest. But uh, a really nice guy. So we we did some episodes with him. That's going to be, um, I think, two of them have already aired. You know, Randy. Yep. Jimmy.
1: Yes, I said yep.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, of course uh, I did Sergeant Clifford Stone in Roswell, and uh, he showed me some amazing uh, things, uh, pieces of craft, and also. Uh, pieces of alleged craft, uh, ET craft, and uh, from the craft sites, and a lot of documentation, uh, you know, just a lot of brilliant stuff that he requested from the government. So we're going to be going through those files and talking about his experiences with extraterrestrial craft. And the other one is, um, of course, my favorite, my good buddy, David Adair, um, very well-recognized Aerospace guy, he was in the military, in the Air Force, and Army. Uh, and he's been on a lot of uh, crash retrievals as well and has done just amazing things. He's just an amazing guy. So, look forward to those three guys uh, in the next coming seasons. Um, you're going to really, we dive really deep. And you know, I'm switching to host now um, since uh, there was an opening for that. And uh, I got the blessings from David Wilcock to take that over. Um, and so it's working as a nice transition, I think. I like being the host and being able to t- get into these insider's heads and see, you know, bring out this information because you got to have a right person to really get, you know, it's really scientific about it and really to extract the information. And it's kind of easy for me to do because, you know, they have already done it to me. <laughs> So it, it was a really neat, neat transition. So look forward to that stuff. You can go to uh, Gaia.com slash Emory and sign up there. It's a, a nice setup.
1: The, uh, the subjects that, you're gonna, that you cover, uh, are you going to expand in, in other directions? Uh, y- y- you know what I mean? How are you going to uh, push Cosmic forward and, you know, quite frankly, not run out of material?
0: Well, the thing is getting more uh, more insiders, new insiders, you know, and we're we're having uh, you know new people come up uh to us that they're vetting right now that we're trying to vet because there's a lot of people that coming forward. but we're, we're trying to look for some documentation to go along with it. Uh but we you're going to see new people, new faces uh like Randy Weitenheimer and um Randy Kramer, I was kind of big on the scene and uh there's others coming out. I can't mention their names, of course, yet but it's, it's going to be brilliant and lovely. You're just going to, it's a plethora of information and news, you know, new sciences and new stories uh, from these uh, insiders that will, that are pretty remarkable. Um, And I think that the audience is really going to be engaged.
1: Yeah. These are exciting times and, and I look forward to it. Um, You, uh, you do what uh, eight episodes, four episodes a month. How, how does that work?
0: Yeah, well, what happens is, you know, it's possible for us to shoot. Uh, when when someone flies in, like David there, you know, we'll usually have two days of shooting. We'll, we might shoot, you know, four to six episodes a day. Um, it depends, you know, after, let's say we get two days, 12 episodes. that's really comes out to about eight episodes because after all the editing and, you know, maybe if you know one show is not that great or they don't like it they might scrub it so we always shoot a lot the good thing is everything that we've shot so far has been used nothing has been thrown out um but it's possible for me to do you know three interviews in one month that just happened recently and we were flying around and also doing it here at Gaia headquarters um the filming of you know people flying in me interviewing them so it was a that's, that's kind of the, the protocol of how that unfolds.
1: Well, so, let me know, I could
0: actually, yeah, let me, already, these, these episodes are already shot. By the time you see them, they could be three to six months out, like three, six months ago. So it's funny when people see me and they're like, oh, my gosh, you look so different than TV. And I'm just saying, well, that's because you're watching pictures of me six months ago, you know, when I was 300 pounds.
1: <laughs> well, and how did you uh, make the transition from guest to host? Hosting's a whole nother thing where you are now asking questions instead of answering them. It's it's a lot more difficult than than what most people think it is.
0: Yes, it is. It's extremely difficult, and I definitely needed some pointers. And, um, you know, by looking at my other colleagues and, um, you know, taking some classes in this, uh, you know, this is a kind of a different area for me. So I really, really had to embrace it and... You know, look at myself on TV and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have my arms crossed. Or, I can't believe I did this. And, and just being really humble about it and getting really good constructive criticism from the team at Gaia. They're amazing um, for helping me, you know, through this transition. And they just approached me and said, you know, would you mind doing this? And um, I said, sure, uh, because there you know, was an opening there and um, they were trying to find someone that lives in Boulder that could be there whenever they want. And since I'm already here, it was just a good shoe in you know, for that to happen.
1: Well, excited for the new stuff, and uh, uh, Gaia uh, is easy to find. I don't have the links up at uh, Jimmy Church Radio, but uh, Gaia, uh, I think it's just Gaia.com now. Yeah,
0: Gaia.com slash emery yep.
1: Right on. Let, let's get into uh, regenerative medicine, and I want to start first with a definition. What is uh, regenerative medicine?
0: Well, regenerative medicine is any type of therapy or medicine or um, anything that has clinically shown that it helps regenerate cellular tissue. And at the, the pinpoint of this, of course, is a lot to do with biologics and stem cells and platelet-rich plasma uh, on the cellular level. But they are coming out with different types of proteins and amino acids. Uh, that are recombinant, which means they're synthetic and, and also uh, concentrated from other um, uh, animals and from other humans that can be concentrated, sterilized, and then utilized on the body to help promote cellular function and help regenerate cells. And because so your cells in your body, they're all different. The muscle cells different than the skin. That's different than your heart. It's different than your lung tissue. So they have now really fine-tuned this therapy Uh, with many, many beautiful types of uh, uh, therapies out there that are autologous, which means it comes from your own body. Um, Of course, I was one of the pioneers in that. Uh, One of my inventions and patents is a concentrated cell separator that concentrates uh, stem cells from your bone marrow and stem cells from your blood. Uh, Also stromal vascular fractionated stem cells from your fat around your uh, belly button. And when we concentrate these, and this is all done with this within, at the patient's bedside within an hour, we can concentrate your own body's healing factors and spin them down in a centrifuge and isolate those factors and then put it in a place of your body that needs it the most. Now, it might be systemically, it might be a full body stem cell infusion, or it might be a localized platelet-rich uh, plasma treatment where you're injecting into the joint. Um, there's many different aspects that we can go with this.
1: Where does where does the knowledge from uh, for this come from? Uh, I assume uh, you you don't have you're not a medical doctor, right? I yep. I understand yep. your military training in these fields, but this seems to be a very complex issue, and there are those out there that are going to say, "Man, he's not a doctor, right?" There's no formal training here. Uh, where does the knowledge uh, for all of this come from?
0: Well, I mean, I do have over 360 college credit hours from the Air Force. So, you know, that's more than a Ph.D. Uh, we do have, uh, of course, the training I received in the Air Force, you know, was not even available in any <laughs> university for the stuff I was doing. But the basics of biology and surgical technology and uh, being, uh, being um, in the emergency medicine field, you know, all I have all those certificates and all those titles. Uh, And I still have, you know, my, uh, my credit hours, you know, I'd never applied it when I got out of the military, which I could have and got a couple degrees right off the bat because I was going to be a device manufacturer. Now that means I'm going to create things that help people heal and help cure them. And I knew by working with (laughs) surgeons for that long, that it's not a good idea for a surgeon to tell another surgeon hey, you're just not doing that right, you should use my device, it's better, and what you've been doing is wrong your whole life, that would not go over so well. But being a clinical practitioner who works under the license of a surgeon, um, you can get away with a lot more. So that's what I was doing. And I was actually one of the first CME CEU-accredited organizations to hold the Florida International Platelet Gel and Stem Cell Symposium. So physicians actually would come to get credit hours from me, even though I'm not a, a medical doctor. I had medical doctors on my team, and I spoke for most of the time during a three-day course in Melbourne, Florida, at the Space Coast Aeromedical Medical Institute every quarter. Um, so doctors would fly all around the world to come in and also re- receive a certificate of training from me to do you know, this harvesting of blood and fat and bone marrow. Uh, so they could, you know, take it to their clinics and help, you know, heal and cure people.
1: It sounds uh, almost too good to be true. Like this could actually like change the world and change lifestyles and create hope. Is is that well, too extreme? Am I going too far no, with this? I mean,
0: we have. I mean, ever since I developed my device, I know uh, total knee and hip replacement surgery has gone down uh, by fifty percent. So that says a lot about the products. And the way I was smooth about it was instead of telling the doctor, oh, you're doing it wrong. It's more like, hey, I got this new device. It may do this. It may do that. Why don't you use it and let me know, you know, your results. And then when they would come back and was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't have to do this knee surgery because we rebuilt the articular cartilage just by using these injections. I said, my goodness, that sounds fantastic. Can you write that up in a white paper for me? So I'm pulling the same thing I did with, you know, how, how we you know, picked Gary Nolan, how we picked Dr. Lockman and all these people is getting the right, you know, people on board to, you know, so when they say something, it is legitimate. It's backed up with white papers. They did their own studies. So it's not me saying my products are the best. It's, it's the world saying Emory's products are the best. And that's what I just wanted. So I accomplished that mission. And uh, it's helping people all around the world right now. And you, there's, other, there's five, five or six other companies out there doing it. I don't not own that company anymore, by the way. Um, however, the product is still out there, and it's called the Genesis system, and it concentrates uh, many different types of cells in the body. Um, and there's other systems out there as well that uh, do similar things. But, of course, mine's the best.
1: You mentioned earlier your patent. Uh, those are your words. How many patents do you have? How many inventions? And are these researchable? You know, because you know how it is, right? Yeah, there's I mean, there's no documents can, here.
0: Yes. Yeah. Right. No, yeah, anyone can type in Emory Smith at uh, the patents office, and you guys can see all my stuff. Um, but the one I'm known for, of course, is the cell separator concentrating kit and also the spray, uh, the autologous spray concentrate, uh, device, which we use to mix um, a type of, uh, it's called autologous thrombin, 10% calcium chloride mixed with 5,000 units of bovine thrombin powder, sometimes we use a sprayer device to spray and mix the biologics with medications to help activate uh, platelets and fibrinogens so it clots. Uh, and if you go to my website, emerysmith.net, there is a video there. Uh, of me treating a snake bite uh, king cobra snake bite on david weathers which shows that process of how i did it um and you can also type in on google prp snake bite rich plasma snake bite and it should come up and there's a nice video there done by discovery channel on me discovery health and um, a few other channels
1: what's the reason Uh, for what's the reason for spraying this uh, snake bite what happened
0: well, what, ha- what happened to this poor guy, he is, I was volunteering at the uh, Octagon Wildlife Sanctuary in Florida, down here in Sarasota, Fort Myers area, uh, DeSoto County, I think. And he, was this big animal sanctuary with, you know, big wild cats. and You know, just think of every zoo animal possible. And I was doing volunteer work there, uh, doing wound care on a lot of the animals. And the zoo manager, David Weathers, also known as the Cobra Kid, um, Who's a you know he he's a venomous snake handler, so he's used to doing this his whole life and wrestling alligators. He's a great guy, and he came up to me one day and he's like, "Hey, Em, you know uh, that stuff you put on the tigers, you know, you think maybe you could put it on my wound?" And I said, "Oh, well, what happened?" And you know, Dave's there and his wife beater, you know, working on the farm there, and he lifts up his uh, his wife beater there and he has this makeshift bandage on, and he like pulled it off. And He's like, "Oh, I got bit by a cobra a few days ago." And when he pulled the bandage off, Jimmy, it was horrific. And you could see the video, too. It's on, like I said, look at that uh, thing. And it was just all black and necrotic. And I said, David, I said, you're jaundiced looking. You have a systemic infection here. You need to go to the doctor right now or you might die tonight. I mean, you're feverish. And I said, I cannot put a live tissue graft that I make with your own blood onto this wound because your wound is completely dead, there's no dead cells for the graft to adhere to, and start the you know upregulation upregulation of a cell receptor site so the cells can um, you know replicate. So I said, go to the hospital, get that thing all debrided out, you know, debride it, and just you know clean it up. Get on antibiotics. I said, I'm not touching you until you you know get that thing cleaned out professionally by a surgeon. And so the next thing he did was. Um, he says, okay, how about tomorrow at noon? I said, we'll stop by and maybe we can, you know, help you out. And so the next day he came by and he looked great. And we, you know, put him on the table and we drew his blood and spun it down. And we noticed when we you know, took the bandage off, I was like, oh my goodness, it's completely cleaned up and the edges were all, you know, cut away. It was like really professionally done. You could see down to his intestines. Because uh, the venom was like acid, and then it ate you know through his skin and his subcutaneous layer and his fascia and his muscle. Um, and I said, "Well, Dave, you know, you should be in the hospital still and getting care." And they said, "Well, this," they said, "I got to leave this wound open; it won't heal for you know three to nine months." And um, and I said, "Well, uh, I said, well, you know, hopefully, you know, this is a very long time ago." I said, "Hopefully, at the beginning stages here." With all the results we've been having, uh, this is still when we were testing everything, um, that we were able to do this for him. That we took his blood and we, I started, you know, taking the blood. And if we spin it down and harvest the plate that's in plasma, we have to activate it. And that's what that sprayer is for. And you'll, you'll see a similar device um, on the video, um, an earlier prototype. So when you push these two syringes, it's like the stuff you buy at Home Depot when you're mixing the glues together to activate them it's the same thing. We're mixing, um, this medication, uh, which is thrombin made from a cow. Uh, we have thrombin in our own bloodstream that activates called tissue thromboplastin. And, uh, when the blood hits the air, you know, your blood clots, and it's because of this tissue thromboplastin. So we were able to control how we want this autologous tissue graft to clot with this medication and also adding, um, Uh, an anticoagulant to it. So it would, so the blood would not coagulate until we added the thrombin and the calcium. So as I'm injecting this and infusing this into this open wound, I said, Dave, this is fantastic. You know, this looks great. I said, who is your surgeon? Because I know all the docs pretty much within a few hundred square miles. And he, he just looked at me and he said, oh my gosh. I said, oh my gosh, David. He's like, hey, man, I'm sorry. You know, I just smoked a fatty and got my razor out and got some uh, scissors and I just went at it. And I, I, and you know, I just was like, Oh my goodness, you know, we're all going to go to jail for, you know, treating this, this kid who uh, basically, you know, was supposed to go get the, the proper medical attention first. And, um, I said, well, what'd you do? He's like, well, I just went in and I saw these antibiotics for the tigers and I just, you know, injected myself. I feel great. And and here I am about to have a heart attack. And he grabs my arm and he says, Emery, it's all right, man. Don't worry about it. I said, why? He goes, because I used alcohol. And then I just was like, oh my goodness. And so I thought that was funny. But at the same time, um, I was going to go run and hide. And it was maybe, I don't know, three or four days later, he called me um, yeah, it was probably maybe five days, I think it was like five days later, he called me, he says, what are you doing? And I said, well, uh, nothing. I said, how are you doing? He says, it's, I feel great. He's like, um, do you have time to go outside? And I said, why? He goes, so CNN, ABC, CBS, and you know, everyone's there. Um, uh, they want to interview you. I said, why? He goes, because my wound is completely healed. And uh, everyone heard about my cobra bite because they actually have the cobra bite video. He was being filmed when he got bit by the cobra. So that, that little um, video kind of launched me into this regenerative medicine as a pioneer because the doctors said that this would take you know months to heal, and I healed the wound skin to skin in seven days with no infection.
1: Yeah, the, the video, I've got it up on uh, Twitter so everybody can go and check that out. It's on Discovery Health. And uh, I'm just going to warn everybody, the open wound and everything is uh, pretty (laughs) pretty gnarly. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. (laughs) And I want to roll this video for just one second. You can hear it. Yeah, there you are. How old are you? um, Yeah, that's healed. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. How old are you in this video?
0: Wow. That was probably, I would have to guess, uh, let me see, let's say 29
1: yeah yeah there it is man that is uh that's a that's a pretty gnarly okay i'm gonna stop it now i know you can hear it the audience it's, can't hear it it's pretty it,
0: but shocking but it's, it's also, also is. very educational
1: so now the uh the ideas for this where do they come from
0: well i you know i had a mixture of course working um not only in surgery, but in the labs. And, you know, as a, before they started getting into certain classification of AFSCs, you know, my AFSC was pretty broad. So I worked in all the surgical units, all the clinics and the laboratories and would rotate out of the emergency room. So I was doing all these different things because, you know, I had always accepted any type of education they would give me. Hey, Smith, you want to sign up for this course? Yeah. Hey, Smith, you want to do this? Yeah. I was always yes, yes, yes. And I was just a sponge for information also getting cert- certificates of training and, you know, any courses I could take to help further my career. And I, I, I believe after also being in the projects and seeing how they were regenerating bodies and seeing that we had the power within us, um, uh, you know, to do this, I had a small opportunity after I got out, um, with a couple of gentlemen to, you know, disembark on this and try to develop something where we can heal ourselves from within. And I already knew that, you know, we've had that in our bodies already. The, the, the thing was how do you concentrate the body's own healing factors into like an injection or a pill? And that's what I was trying to figure out. And we figured it out that, you know, just by concentrating your own natural occurring growth factors, which are found in your platelets, that stimulates, Stem cells into replicating, so it was the platelet pure, uh, rich plasma, then platelet pure plasma, and then right from there we went into stem cells. And that happened over you know 15, 20 years.
1: What I would think that big farmer doesn't want this out. I mean that's the obvious statement to make here. But yeah, without
0: getting into it, they basically did not approve us for many, many times that we tried to get FDA 510K approval. And it was just because we were wording it wrong. We didn't re- really realize, that, you know, me not being a savvy business owner at that age, uh, didn't really realize, you know, it's all how you word it with the FDA. And, you know, we could do a 1,000 patients on uh, quadriplegics with stem cells and send it in, it'll it'll get rejected. They'll, they'll be like, you need more. And then you, I'm being sarcastic, but you know, Celebrex can get approved with 20 patients. And I'm just being sarcastic, but it's like, since they don't want any cures, they don't want to know what it does. You know, they want to know what it does, which means, you know, okay, this just be really bland. It concentrates cells instead of saying it concentrates these cells, these proteins, this, and we've done all these studies and spent all this money. They're like, no, 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 it just gets rejected. So it is kind of hitting your head against the wall. Luckily, I got in before all these um, new licensing and laws came down on the FDA. So uh, myself and another company was the catalyst for them to really pay attention to regenerative medicine. That's autologous biologics, because what the FDA wants to do now, and you can look this up, is they want to license your blood. So when it leaves the body, they're saying, well, once it leaves the body and you're going to change it or process it. That now it falls under, you know, uh, they're trying to make it look like it's a pharmaceutical, but they can't because it's your own blood. So it's like they're trying to patent your own blood.
1: I I need to take a break right here. But I would think, well, okay, we donate blood all of the time. We don't own that blood anymore. But if the blood is bad or if there's disease in it or there's something, then it does come back to you. Right, you are held responsible for it. Uh, is is that a way uh, for them to get around it? Right. Once you release, well, once you release it, you, it's it's no longer yours, and we can we can do with it what we want.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. It's a process. Right. But you can't. It's just a process. Everyone has blood. You know. All we're doing is concentrating your own cells and putting it back into you. That's what I love about it. It's all natural. And what they're trying to say is, well, once it leaves the body, and if you add any medications to it, or anticoagulants, or anything to manipulate it, well, then it fall it might it may fall under another jurisdiction, you know, in FDA of the biologics division, and also that could be up for you know them owning it, and that's what scares me. Is like, how can you patent you know someone's blood? But they have patented, like um, one of the lawsuits I was involved with. Um, that the government set up against me in the early years was, you know, they went and bought this silly patent with uh, mixing blood and vitamin C together and then putting it on a wound. And uh, they sued me for that. And um, and it was, it was horrendous because I was never mixing blood with vitamin C ever, but they knew how much money I had in the account. They knew if they kept, you know, suing me that I'll just run out of money and, you know, take, you know, take whatever they had to offer, uh, whatever they had to offer, and that's what I did.
1: Well, and we'll talk. About, you know, yeah, work. we'll talk about that yeah, after yeah. the break. I got to jump in right here and get this break in. Our guest tonight is Emery Smith. This is Fade to Black. I am your host, Jimmy Church, on the Game Changer Network and KGRA, the Planet. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back. Fade to black. I'm your host, Jimmy Church. Our guest tonight, Emery Smith. And our conversation is about uh, what Emery was doing in regenerative medicine, which continues to this day, uh, by the way. But back when uh, we, the the FDA 510K approval uh, for that centrifuge, um, I want you to explain what a five ten k is and why that was so important.
0: Yeah, what a five FDA five ten k is is basically a certificate for the device manufacturer to sell a product that has been tested um, that's safe and effective to be used on humans and animals. There's um, <clears throat> it usually falls under the same category, but I know they're changing things now. And uh, that allows someone, because this is like an implant, this is not a regular test tube that I invented, because the test tube part uh, has to be um, able to withstand and keep the cells viable, uh, and then put them back in the body. A regular test tube, like one that's made out of glass, for instance, would kind of destroy this process, because glass, believe it or not, activates blood and makes it clot immediately. So... We had to write up a protocol, and we had to do lots of stringent testing on the polycarbonate plastics that we use, because once you take blood out of the body, you want to keep it from touching the air. So it's a completely enclosed system. So the blood really doesn't come in contact with the air. And after that process, we deliver it back into the patient. So there's very or little damage to any of the cells, which we call you know hemolyzing the cells during um, during the centrifuge uh, process. And that was just, you know, doing algorithms algorithms and ratios based on um, the diameter and circumference of the actual rotor and the buckets that are in there to hold the tube and finding out the density of every cell um, that you have in the blood and then measuring that and putting it under a certain amount of g force for a certain amount of revolutions per minute. And then, you know, after, you know, years and years and years of testing, we've really fine-tuned it. And that's what this amazing uh, patent is about. It's about this centrifuge tube assembly that allows us to take blood, keep it from being contaminated in the air or by people, and then having it reintroduced into the body like a surgical implant.
1: Now, it sounds to me like there was a lot of money uh, floating around here, that there was profits. Uh, It is the medical industry uh, as well. Did you profit from this? Uh, Are you profiting from it today, or is somebody else making money off of this technology?
0: Yes. I mean, it's a huge profit markup, Uh, it's a very lucrative um, device manufacturer is very lucrative because we find distributors that are already out there and find licenses with them for us to distribute the product and it's a great markup, and at the same time, it reduces surgery. So this might be an avenue for someone who needs surgery, but we're going to try this out first before we do surgery because it's cheaper, more cost-effective for the patient, and there's no downtime with infusions and injections, usually out within the same day, within the same couple hours sometimes. Uh, You know, one of the big problems I had with the orthopedic surgeons in the early days was trying to convince them that you know, when they do a total knee down in South Florida, I know they get you know 3500 $3, dollars at the time um, for that total knee, and that patient is you know pretty much needs a physician assistant to follow up with them all week and physical therapy. So I basically told them, well, for the cost of you know the you know what they had to put down anyway for their insurance upfront, that they would be able to pay for this procedure cash. And then it was like, well, we want to hear more what you have to say. But at the beginning, it was like, get out of our clinic. you are going to kill our total knee business because that's how we make money. We don't want something that's going to interfere with that. But once they found out a way to make money off it and a way that they can incorporate it into their medical uh, protocols for that surgeon, you know, people started seeing results. And if it did not, you know, prevent the surgery, at least it, you know, prevented the surgery from happening, um, like sooner so maybe it prolonged them from having surgery which is really important to a lot of people who are still working especially uh, construction workers and active people like police officers and the fire department any type of active job you want to get back into that job you don't want a lot of downtime so this really helped out with that
1: now your lifestyle changed right well
0: yeah i mean definitely i wasn't making that much money in um, in the air force as you know when i got out uh, to go take care of my family uh, that, back down in Fort Myers. I just got a, a surgical tech, surgical first assist job at the Leo Memorial Health Systems there. And, um, and then uh, hooked up with a, a couple of great guys that were down there that wanted to um, start another business and work through them to make this all happen. And it, it was pretty, it wasn't until maybe 10 years after that we started seeing like huge profits, you know, making a lot of money, the company now is worth, you know, $165 million or more. Um, I was benefiting, yeah, I was living the high life. I went from, you know, rags to riches pretty quick and, you know, had homes all around the U S and a dozen cars and, uh, was doing quite well. Uh, and then, um, and then there was a, a big shutdown of the project, um, and, you know, a big lawsuit entailed and they knew how much money I had. And, um, and I initiated this lawsuit, but they knew that I would run out of money because I wasn't uh, smart enough to know I'm not a lawyer. Um, I wasn't smart enough to know that I took the wrong route into, in handling this. So, of course, I lost everything. Um, and the reason I was, I was making a lot of money off this company, a few million a year personally, but that was funding. The reason I did that, that was funding my free energy lab that I had for seven years.
1: And, and that well, um, and that allowed but, uh, you, well, uh, and, and again for clarification here, because there there's uh, a few different phases in your life, certainly free energy, uh, the the et question, uh, Dr. Greer, Stephen greer and and seti all of this was on the horizon. And so you were able to uh, use uh, what money you had left to go into c City and and build a laboratory over there, and then and start to investigate UFOs, right?
0: Well, I didn't build anything for c City. I was just uh, their uh, vice president and their financial officer for the uh, the movie Cirrus. And uh, I volunteered for them, you know, for many years, um, never, you know, got a paycheck or anything like that. I don't, I don't think people are aware that I was just a volunteer. I was wealthy enough to be a volunteer and help them out and, um, and give my time and money uh, and effort into them. And it was a great organization um, at that time. And uh, yeah, so that kind of was where it all Kind of stem from, but I did not uh, make any uh, laboratory for them. I had my own private laboratory with a couple of scientists that no one knew about except the people that were involved.
1: The uh, uh, staying on the UFO uh, part of this and the, you know the extraterrestrial side of it. Um, when you went over to C-SETI, were they aware? Uh, was Doctor Greer aware of? the tissue work that you had done back in the Air Force and your, you know, I'd say UFO, extraterrestrial background. Was he aware of any of that?
0: Steve Steve was not aware of my extraterrestrial background in the the military. Uh, He was aware of my medical accomplishments. That's why he chose me to do the tissue harvesting from the Atacama being, not anyone else. Uh, he he made that command decision. Um, I had access, of course, to uh, sterile equipment and uh, you know DNA harvesting kits and things like this that we needed for the mission. Um, and uh, I'm not sure why he chose me. I think I know why because he probably had heads up. Uh, we we were definitely uh, having a lot of contact him and I uh, during the years at, of sea study. Uh, that was a little. Uh, a little bit more active than normal, he would say. Uh, with me coming on board, and uh, we had a lot of really great moments uh, out there in the field, uh, where he knew that I knew telepathy. I mean, he knew some things, uh, some abilities that I had and uh, that he had too, and that stood out from the crowd. And I think that's why I raised, uh, I went up in the rank so quickly after uh, going to just a, a few sessions, uh, a few uh, missions with Steve. Um, that, you know, they offered me a position to come help out with security was the first thing. I know people are out there saying, oh, that's Steve's bodyguard, but there's a lot going on in the background, like that you guys didn't know about. A lot of people don't know that that's me on Cirrus, you know, um, collecting the the DNA because they don't show my face. And that was part of keeping me kind of, um, in the, in the secret, uh, in the background there to be utilized for things like this. Um. But, you know, I had to come forward a few years ago because of the uh, energy device.
1: Now, uh, we'll get uh, back into the energy device in a second. But I'm very curious as to uh, you guys going out in the field. I'm talking about uh, Dr. Greer and what you were exposed to. What were you guys seeing out there? Were you doing sky watches? Did you make any, you know, any contact uh did you oh, see no any beams? contact? I mean I mean you can go
0: check our uh at the World World Puja radio um place. They they he goes on there and we talk about our missions usually after an expedition a week later. But we had phenomenal amounts of uh I've taken a phenomenal amount of photography for them, um, capturing a lot of these beings. Um you know During the CE-5 expeditions, you know, we had many craft come up on the beach, many craft directly above us, um, many extraterrestrials within, you know, a few feet of us uh, were communicating. Uh, There was a few times where we did some astral projection uh, meditations uh, where uh, we were making contact in the mind and using telepathy where we him and I could actually talk to each other at the same time, vector these ETs in and establish a, you know, like an ambassador type meeting. It um, really fantasmical. I know it sounds pretty out there, but it you know, it's true. It's real stuff. And these ETs are there. And they, you know, he's come up with an amazing protocol to bring these in. And I, I was really interested to see what the civilians were doing. And also, you know, I missed the, the camaraderie. I missed the mission oriented things. And, you know, he's very mission oriented guy. So I liked that, you know, that, that leadership about him. So we had a, you know, it was was really a great time out there. And, um,
1: well, hold on. I was Uh, just there for that. Yeah. Let me jump in. You just said that there were ET beings a few feet from you. I mean, was this something physical? Was it interdimensional? What do you mean? There were ET beings a few feet from you. What were you saying? Yes. ETs can come
0: in many different forms. So they can, holographically, you know, show themselves, but they're, you know, out past Saturn or in our exoatmosphere, a cloak. Uh, so they can actually show themselves without being harmed. And they'll just say their holographic imaging is really a lot better than ours. And they can communicate that way. They can communicate interdimensionally, which means um, it, it's, it's non-local. So they bi-locate. So they could be somewhere and also have a presence on earth even though they're behind the moon um and then you have like three-dimensional physical uh landings where there's beings that actually come out of these craft and you know hike on over sometimes they don't land right there in the circle but a little bit of ways away and then they come marching in and we had this happen in um in france uh, and this is all documented stuff with cameras and videos and i don't know if Uh, Steve has released a lot of this I haven't been following, but I I know that it's real and uh, we have amazing contact. And being interdimensional also means that the being also could be the craft. And the craft could be just a spark in the air uh, in front of you. And um, I'm most noted for uh, taking the light being picture, which is pretty famous out there. And the U.S. Navy said that it was the best picture a civilian has ever uh, taken, um, and what they didn't know because the picture was leaked to the U.S. Navy without our permission, um, that it was me that took the picture, <laughs> which they probably probably found out later.
1: What but, uh, describe this image?
0: Yeah, this image is a, of a beautiful a light. Um, it looks like a. It kind of looks like a, a lens flare in a way. But it's not a lens flare. And there are, so people know, when you take pictures and you see dots or you see lens flares or colors, that's also a way that ETs communicate safely uh, through electronics. Um, they can kind of reprogram them uh, to, to give messages, either through sound or through, uh, through photons. In images and on uh, pictures and on digital cameras, especially the older digital cameras pick up on them a a little bit better. And And so this being, so this being basically is a tear, kind of a teardrop um, type being. I have a lot of pictures of this being, uh, of similar beings like this, and uh, I had one of my my friends. Hold on a second. Okay. okay. So I'm going to take a picture of it, and I'm going to send it to you right now. And um, I got um, somebody working on that. And, uh, and and you guys can see this picture of this beautiful being. It's this teardrop type of being. It's hard to explain, but it has this beautiful rainbow halo around it. You can see the head. You can see the heart chakra. Um, you can kind of see the etheric field in this. Uh, this being so, it's, it's a very majestic-looking picture. And uh, I had a friend paint me um, a beautiful picture uh, of this of this original. So they took acrylic paint and they made this beautiful picture. And it's always behind me when I do interviews. Sometimes at, at um, the office, and people are always asking me, you know, um, you know, wh- what is that behind you in that picture? And it's this, it's this beautiful light being. And we have uh, dozens of photos. Uh, in different places around the planet, of this similar being, um, and uh, so I'll send. Uh, so, we, what we did is we made little um, posters out of the of the acrylic painting picture that my friend painted, and we're going to have those available for people to purchase. And we're going to take a picture of it right now and just text it to you, Jimmy. Okay, yeah, I'm, to I'm, see I'm... what you're looking at, and then then the people will kind of understand, you know, <laughs> exactly what this looks like. And this is the Artist rendition um, of the being. Uh, and then we're going to put the original up uh, later this year. Um, and we have you know dozens of these beings on film, uh, even up till just recently. Uh, and they come in a form of light. Now, that light means in another dimension, they might make another form. So when they come into this dimension, they have many forms when they're trans dimensional, interdimensional beings, because they can change the way they look. They can become a 3D. They can look like a light. They can look like a ghost. They can look like almost anything they want because they're not from this dimension. Now, if you, Jimmy, went back into the 2D, you know, you'd just be a big, flat, flat Jimmy. i right. a flat Emery. Right, right. So imagine something that that is 4, 5, 6D coming back into this dimension will definitely look different. We would look different if we went into another dimension or if we came back into a different dimension. We'd have a different physical appearance that's right
1: yeah there's um the the other aspect of this um when you were uh looking at these beings on the beach right that were a few feet from you uh and and you're looking do you recognize what kind of species you're looking at and do you have any idea about how many different civilizations may be visiting us You know, like right now, that's that's the big question that I have. We talk about greys and we talk about Nordics and and mantis beings and reptilians. I think those are all generalized statements when we have, you know, a hundred billion planets just within reach of us here in the Milky Way. There must be huge amounts of uh, different civilizations visiting us. Do you have any idea what that number is?
0: well it's an unlimited amount of number because think of it this way everyone like when you're when you're looking at earth and all the species on earth not just humans but all the species you know that's a lot of different species even in, in, even the different races in being human look how many there are and all those races intermingle guys so with my studies through you know looking at genetics and dna of these beings the most profound thing I found out was um, that they have human DNA, our DNA, and we have uh, different percentages of their DNA. So what I'm saying is out there in the universe, there's a lot of intermingling going on, just like here on planet Earth. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, a gray and a reptoid, you know, they might be 5% human, you know, 45% um, our turn and 50% Reptoid. So there is a lot of intermingling, we're, we're starting to find out, is going on out there. So the species are pretty unlimited in numbers and the different star systems. Like, it's weird someone says, well, I'm from Sarah. You know, and I'm like, well, that's just a star system that has, you know, thousands of planets. So I don't think people really look at it that way because the universe is so vast. And I had a great experience up there at the Shambhala Monaster- Monastery getting access to their giant telescope, which we can now, uh, we're going to do a live stream on that one day, where I'm going to take you into the universe, uh, live streaming it on your big screen, and I'm going to show you all the star systems and all the nebulas. And, uh, and, that- and that shows you a little bit more. So there's unlimited species out there, Jimmy, um, that are around the universe in this dimension.
1: The uh, the DNA on this planet. It doesn't matter what you're looking at. The construction of, of of everything is based on the same twenty amino acids, which must be common throughout the Milky Way, right? And those basic building yep. blocks, which are constructed are constructing DNA, they must be similar. Just because of the nature of uh, chemistry and those amino acids, and how DNA would be constructed, right?
0: Yes, that's correct. We just have a little. We have some gaps in ours, uh, but we're just uh, not a fully activated species yet. I'll say, Uh, but we're we're moving in that direction.
1: The, uh, going back to those beings, uh, the first part of that question was, I'm talking about on the beach that you said were a few feet from you. Mm-hmm. My question was, were they physical and, and what did they look like?
0: Yeah, we have, we do have a picture of that somewhere. I'll have to find it. set then, uh, what it looked like is we have a group of like 50 people out there and a craft came up and this is, uh this is down in, in southern Florida, and we were on uh, the Gulf of Mexico side, and there was a craft. We have all these amazing lights were blinking uh, as we were doing the, CE, the, the CE5 protocols um, after we did the Puja, and all these scintillating lights were across the bay uh, against the mangroves, and on the other side of the mangroves is the Gulf of Mexico. So first, it became very electrostatic, and that was the first feeling everyone was feeling. And the next thing we saw in the field was, you know, which was only maybe you know, seventy-five feet away, was all these really bright lights. And at first, of course, the mind wants to, like, oh, those are just lightning bugs. And uh, but there was definitely no lightning bugs out at that at that time. And I remember uh, Stephen stood up and walked out of the circle, and I followed him right behind him uh, with the camera, and. To our amazement, these lights, these glowing uh, tennis ball sized lights, golf ball to tennis ball sized lights that were really bright, but not burning your eye, were fluctuating in and out. And there was a dozen of them in this little grassy knoll. And what happened was he started walking into the grass and they started like starting to come towards him. And then I called the entire group over because it was just too amazing that they're still staying here. Which means the the group was really cohesive in frequency, and they all walked up, and it was it, it was um, people think you're ready to see an ET, but when it when those lights started forming into the small little bodies, uh, which looked uh, maybe a foot to two feet tall, very oblong, um, uh, very ectomorphic, they were a bluish gray uh, species that um, people started actually passing out. Uh, they were walking up to the grass line but they weren't going further and the lights came right up to them these uh, beings started to manifest and show their true form and people actually started passing out because it was so overwhelming with energy and love and and just it was a, a very emotional time for a lot of people to see this um and then uh, we stayed out there and uh, had some telepathy and some communication and some downloads, and it it all was over within, I don't know, maybe 20 20 minutes for that part of the night. Uh, The rest of the night was just amazing crap were coming above us, uh, so much that two Black Hawk helicopters came in and buzzed us, and then, you know, it kind of ruined the night once they come. But it's great confirmation when we're doing these CE-5s and the military craft come in uh, and try to break us up.
1: Fascinating. I've seen some of the video of uh, of that night, too, and uh, it's pretty incredible. Let's take a break right here, Emery. I'm going to get you to hang on. Uh we're not quite ready to uh, end this conversation tonight. Let's do some overtime. Our guest tonight, Emery Smith. I am your host, Jimmy Church. Tomorrow night is Fader Night, open lines all night long. On the Game Changer Network and KGRA, the planet we will be right back after this short break. Stay with us. Welcome back, Fade to Black. I'm your host, Jimmy Church. Our guest tonight, Emery Smith. Fascinating conversation tonight. We've covered just about everything. And going through some of these CE5 uh, call-ins with Dr. Greer, fascinating. And, you know, I've seen uh, some of his videos uh, over the years, and uh, I'm very impressed with it. And some of it is nearly identical to some of the things that I've experienced, too, with... uh, with groups of people so we know that there is something going on which brings me around to the obvious question which is disclosure right everybody wants it and wants it now is there a timetable if you had a crystal ball emery uh, you know what what disclosure really is and and how long is this going to take until we can like close the door on this
0: yeah, I mean, I really believe that disclosure is happening every day. Know it's know you have to be patient. Um, the fact that they're releasing new technologies and uh, new materials out there is a good sign that pretty soon people are going to be looking at this saying, you know, how did you make this? How did you get this? We're just not smart enough to do this. Um, I do believe that Antarctica will show a lot once it's melted, you know, um, just like you saw that face, you know, it could be just some ice. Um, I have to be skeptical on everything I see down there because you just never know what kind of agenda they're rolling. Um, Because of what I've just heard recently in D.C., it looks like a five-year kind of release, but they don't have five years to release it because the public's going to know about it, I think, within the next year. So I'm hoping um, for that. I'm just hoping that uh, the civilians take charge and, you know, start – getting some of these uh, raw data in and photographs and videos, that's undeniable. Uh, I believe that people are standing up and being more educated on this, and the acceptance of it, of course, is overwhelming by the media now. Like you said earlier, there's never been more uh, media coverage than there is right now, which is a great sign. It looks like the government does want to move forward with some agenda to prove that ETs do exist, um, I don't know if that's good or bad and how that will affect us. I do not have my own opinion on a timeline. I mean, I have my own opinion, you know, that hopeful, you know, that it should be within the next one to five years. But like I said, Earth doesn't have that much time. We need to get this technology out now. We need to reverse engineer it, and it already is done. Uh, but if they need time, and I'm saying this out loud because I know they're listening, if they need time, I think that's okay. But they shouldn't uh, sit on this for more than a year. They need to really get get on the ball here and start, uh, so that's the, um, the earth people know that you know, this is real and that, uh, there are extraterrestrials there. Uh, yes, they have technology that could really help us. Um, but you know, we do have to go through certain things, um, as a society, uh, to bring us together. And some of these might be catastrophic events uh, as well, um, to bring us together. So we won't be, um, so hurtful to each other. So, we really need this to change the conscious level of everyone during this time. And I think it's happening. Uh, I just think there's more and more, you know, people coming on board. Um, you know, I, I, see the effects on, you know, the letters we get and the emails we get. And I thank all of you guys for that because they're really good questions. And a lot of people are volunteering to step up and to, you know, um, you know, speak out. And I think the more insiders that come forward, please contact me if you are one. Um, to get your information and story out, because it really is important that the more people we have come forward, the more disclosure that happens. So I think it's going to be over time. Um, the Earth needs it to be done now. Uh, hopefully it will be done uh, within the next year or so.
1: How much do we trust Washington and and, and the Pentagon uh, with disclosure? I mean, they have spent uh, decades... Uh, ridiculing and teasing, uh, this community and, and, and laughing at it. And now we're supposed to be in this, in this friendship mode. How much do we trust Washington with what they're doing?
0: Well, Washington is really controlled also by the major corporations. Um, they kind of, just do what they have to do. I know people think the president and all the people can just, uh, they're political and Kings and Queens can just go and do whatever, but they really can't. Um, you know, they need our help for sure. Um, they would be immediately terminated if they were to mess up. So they're, they're really being careful, um, of how they move forward with this and who's responsible. Um, for the cover-up, too. We just, and I think people are going to want some answers, so they're, they're trying to make that agenda now.
1: Well, that's the, that's that's pretty obvious. But then there's the other side of it, Emory, which I think uh, members of this community absolutely have to, uh, will not accept anything less than the government uh, handling the disclosure aspect. You know, and having the president disclose on live TV that this has been going on and that there's been a cover up. And so we we like, we have a double edged sword. You'll trust the government to say that, but you don't trust the government to handle disclosure. But the only way that you will accept it is if it comes out of Washington. It's, it's, it's kind of a paradox as I see it.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're backpedaling because I don't think they expected uh, Antarctica to melt so quickly. I don't think uh, they were going to have, you know, information leak out um, like these photos and videos. So they are definitely preparing some sort of agenda. I don't know how that's going to be for us and what that's going to look like. Uh, I just know there is definitely talk about it and they are working on something uh, to release to the the people of the planet because they have to they're on a they are on a timeline i don't know what that timeline is but i know it's you know less than five years um and i don't know who came up with that number it, it was just
1: brought up what's the latest on your unity device
0: oh uh well it's you know it's been validated uh, i can't really talk about it i'm still kind of NDA on that uh, i do talk about it like to some uh, one-on-one people, um, you know, at the meetings and things, but I can't really get too much into it. Uh, Hopefully this is going to be uh, brought to the world as far as it being an operative system um, next year uh, publicly. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, It's great news for all of us and for everyone. And uh, hopefully uh, next year by this time you've already uh, have seen it functioned.
1: But is it? Uh, does it fall under the perpetual motion category? That you know, it's not going to get patented, or it's going to get poo-pooed, you know, by the patent office. Is is? Well, does it that, fall that's under the whole that? Thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's a that is a big problem, and uh, there's many modifications made to this um, this device, and that's all I can say right now.
1: Well, it, it, what I'm suggesting here is—is is that the complication? Is that does it fall under that category, or is no, it something else? That's
0: in, right, the group that I handed over to is very conscious, and it's not about money. You know, it's about getting this—you know—out to the public the right way. Working with lead scientists around the world, and political governments, and of course the corporations. To you know, work together. You know, instead of just dropping a bomb on someone, because the amount of energy that these uh, devices make are also can be used for bad things. So that's really the holdup is trying to you know have a way to control that. And I thought a great way would be to um, at least have you know a scalable size device hooked up to the power plants, so we can still be on grid. We can still pay our electric bill. Who cares? Because at least the energy will be clean and we can clean, clean up the atmosphere and then also use these devices and and make other devices to help clean up the oceans. Because, you know, when you when you talk about over unity and talk about the physics and the energy behind that, you, you can actually transmute garbage in the oceans and bacteria and viruses, all sorts of amazing healing things for the planet and people, not just um, the energy aspect of getting this energy from around the world, which would give us, you know, clean water everywhere uh, around the planet. And also that would help out with crops and, and really heal, you know, the people of earth first and and, and the planet before doing anything else too wild.
1: Is it scalable? I mean, can can it, uh, Mm -hmm. can it be uh, the size of a cell phone? And can it be, you know, much larger and power cities?
0: I mean, definitely, it's sizable uh, to fit in the back of a car, and also sizable enough to power an entire city. Um, you know, it, it's it, that's not a problem. The energy is all there. It's just how we how we choose to store it, how we choose to utilize it. Uh, where does the excess energy go? Because it's an unlimited amount of energy, Jimmy.
1: Where does uh, does it have energy going into it? Does it plug in the wall?
0: No, no, it, it pulls up, pulls out the energy from within time and space. But I can't get into the mechanics of it, of course, right now until next year.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, one la- uh, I've got not one last. I've got a bunch of questions <laughs> here that keep coming in uh, from the audience, and this is from Sarah. Sarah, and she says, "Clarify this, please. So, is there a sense of the rainbow light beings versus uh, uh, rainbow light brings versus benevolent ets manifesting during Greer protocols give give the good guys a chance to be known as legit is is there a mix of both
0: um it can happen um it's rare but it can happen where there are entities uh that are there um a lot of these entities however are Uh, In the classified projects, the shadow agents uh, that are using very high-tech equipment to come and disrupt the CE-5s, they're using energetic beam weapons and scalar infotometry as well to mind control people and to um, also uh, short-circuit people's neurological systems uh, so they can't focus or uh, they get sick and have to leave, which breaks the continuity of the the team when doing CE-5 protocols. So there are... There, are, there is a possibility for negative energies and entities uh, to be in these places because of the contact work we're doing. And, you know, this person's mentioning the rainbow light, um, which is just another form of, of, of um, different kinds of entities that give off uh, light. And, you know, there are you know, so much light among us that we will conquer this. I mean, this is going to be an easy thing as far as time and us being here at this magnificent time, because we're forever beings.
1: I, I wanted to ask you about, uh, and this just popped up, this is just really funny, DARPA's uh, tweet last week where they were asking for underground facilities <laughs> so they could do research projects. <laughs> what was going yeah, on with yeah. that?
0: Well, the facilities over at Los Alamos, underground and Kirtland, are all full so I don't think they can expand anymore. And uh, there's, of course, facilities everywhere, in almost every state and around the world. Um, so I think what they're doing is to save money. There's a lot of abandoned uh, underground facilities that can be expanded. So they're looking, you know, for that. You know, you have to understand, too, like, the other thing I want to clear up is I never worked for Sandia Labs or Los Alamos. I worked in their underground facilities that were rented out by, you know, huge corporations that had to do with aerospace and biotech.
1: But what, what would they need these underground facilities for? What are they researching?
0: Oh my goodness. Anything with aerospace, uh, anything with biologics, such as, you know, hybridization, growing of tissues, 3d printing of bodies, um, you know, Consciousness-assisted technologies that they have reverse engineered from extraterrestrial craft, a lot of reverse engineering stuff, a lot of materials being made utilizing um, materials that we have collected from space and down craft and extraterrestrial DNA. Uh, there's a big exchange going on behind the scenes of extraterrestrial DNA within the, the projects. So they're also, you know, making amazing spacecraft uh, that are anti-gravitic. We've had it forever. Uh, they're just fine-tuning things and coming out just like we come out with new aircraft, uh, you know, every year, you know, Boeing. You know, the same thing that's going on underground in projects. Think of it as a whole other world, but just, you know, a thousand years more advanced that, you know, has technologies and has the money to uh, develop viruses that make us sick and also create a pill that cures that virus. So there's a lot of good things coming out of it and a lot of bad things also that could be utilized. But there's also a lot of uh, weapons and things like this being made uh, that, that far exceeds a bullet or uh, a nuclear bomb, I can assure you.
1: And DARPA would be doing this kind of research underneath our own cities? Yes. That's uh, that's pretty scary. Uh, one, uh, I, I can't let you uh, get away uh, without bringing up Storm Area 51. Uh, this is September 4th, uh, scheduled for September 20th, uh, which is in uh, 16 days. It'll be 15 days here very shortly. Uh, you uh, you served in the Air Force. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the security that would be surrounding Area 51. Is this a good idea?
0: This is a really bad idea, guys. Um, I think it's great that there's that many people that want to do it. I think that shows a lot, but I don't think gathering a million of us up and going out into the extremely harsh conditions of that desert. And of course they're going to have the roads block another 50 miles before you even get there. And there's no toilets, there's no water, you know, a million people on a one lane highway out there is just not going to work. Uh, People are going to be getting sick. You know, I think, you know, I, th- I could never. I could name of ten other places you should storm that you're definitely going to find something besides that place because that's a really put in a position on purpose. So if something like this happened, um, that they would easily uh, deter you not only with tear gas but also using special harmonic uh, disrupting frequencies that will bring you right down to your knees. You're just going to want to get out of the line of those harmonics. So that sound vibration. Uh, they're going to be using bean bags. Uh, you know, in their guns, you know, these things, uh, there's a lot of technology they're going to use that's going to make it very uncomfortable in an already very uncomfortable place. And I was going to go there maybe three or four days earlier and uh, maybe do a, a live broadcast and and just kind of tell people about the conditions out here and to come prepared if you really are going to do this because you're going to be alone out there and you're, it's not like the nearest stores right around the corner or the nearest restroom. So we, we really need to think this out. And uh, I I love it that all these people are so amped about it, Uh, whether it's really going to happen. I don't know, but the last thing you want to do is storm any uh, military installation. Uh, I think we should be a little bit more civilized. I think showing up, you know, all these people, or at least with the numbers on the web, uh, I think it's something that would definitely go down in history. I mean, this will be an epic moment. Um, Whether it's going to happen or not, I don't know.
1: Yeah, If somebody shows up, what if it's the exact opposite? What if it's crickets on the 20th that nobody shows up? (laughs) I know, right?
0: Well, I think um, I'm sure there's going to be people show up. I don't know how many. Uh, I know people will definitely show up. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a million. Uh, I don't think that'd be wise just because of the conditions there. Um, I think we should organize it a little bit better and actually, you know, hold a big hearing or something to get the government to see, wow, there's a million people that show up at this government facility. And it's going to get really awkward really
1: fast. Do you think that they would actually Okay, there's there's two questions that I have. Uh, one, uh, to allow the the highway uh, going out of Las Vegas to remain open, would they just actually just close that down for a couple of days and just tell everybody to turn around?
0: If they saw uh, an imminent uh, gathering where it was going to be uncontrollable, um, it has to be uncontrollable. Which you know, I know they're going to have a huge security force there. Uh, out, I mean, out just unbelievable. I think they would definitely, uh, if they saw it, the cars piling up and the people getting rowdy, definitely they would shut down a major highway um, if it was a threat, to, you know, for people getting to that area.
1: Right. And what do you make of uh, the the other side of it, the capitalistic? Side of uh, the United States, which there's always somebody out there trying to make a buck.
0: Right. Well, that's why I just got all these emails, Jimmy. And then it's like, here, you know, I survived Area 51. I'm storming Area 51 t shirts and posters and stickers and keychains. It's already people are buying this, you know, the the merchandise for something that, you know, didn't happen yet. Uh which like like I said, will go down the history you know if it does it'll be one uh one memorable moment that people will have a something to hold on to that keychain or that poster I, I you know it doesn't surprise me, I think you know that's you know I don't, I don't see any harm in them doing that uh of course, people are gonna do that you know people need to survive they see this as a business opportunity to um you know go out there and and sell their merch and make, a, you know, make history, you know, and have something, have a piece of history to take uh, home with them that they survived this, you know, this invasion.
1: Why don't you and I, let's, let's rent a van, we'll get a bunch of t-shirts printed, and we'll do a yeah. roadside stand. Out there on the extraterrestrial yeah. highway. I mean, because that's, that's what, we what need to do. Yeah. you know. That's that that's going to be happening, and then we have you know the suggestion of uh, music events and and that kind of thing, and that f- feels to me to be a little bit opportunistic. Uh, and what if nobody shows up? Right. And that's the other well, thing. There's you need to have the infrastructure if you're going to p- pull off some kind of event. You need to have uh, facilities, medical facilities, bathrooms, water, food. All of this needs to be provided. You just can't uh, expect to have fifty thousand people taken care of. Or is it just going to be a couple of dozen? You know, that's that's the thing.
0: Well, I think it's, I think we still need to report it either way because unless there's some giant press release that you know you'll be arrested if you show up on area 51 land or if you take part in this you know unless the government actually states something in the press uh, which would be unprecedented (laughs) would be pretty amazing uh because that means they're worried that they can't handle it
1: yeah totally that
0: happens yeah.
1: Now, do you do you think that the Air Force and their security and the military police would actually, if if somebody made it up to the back gate, right? And that's a long road, right? That's a that's a dozen or so miles uh, through the desert to get to uh, either gate. But if if do you think that the military police, the Air Force police would shoot on American citizens on American soil?
0: I think anyone going past the signs would be uh, deterred first. I don't, I don't see them making it that far uh, it, because they're already taking a lot of precautions right now, putting uh, sensors in all the grounds around there and you know, testing up their security forces there already. So I, I I think they're preparing for the worst, and I don't believe anyone would really get past that line because of the type of, of technology that they're using to disrupt the nervous system. Because it makes it pretty
1: unbearable.
0: You, you literally will get very sick and fall to your knees, and you're not going to be able to walk a step. You're just going to you know have to endure the pain or get out of the line of fire. You know, which means the line of, of whatever energy weapon they're using to deter people from going there. And of course, you know, you can bring gas masks and all that, all you want. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be an unpleasant, um, uh, site. And if someone actually got to the gate, which I don't believe will ever happen, they would be terminated.
1: Yeah. This, this is my prediction. This is what I think. They're going to close down the highway at, at Alamo. Right. And which is the last major town Mm -hmm. and anything past that, there's only a couple of houses there. And unless you have a driver's license with your address on it, that says you live by the black mailbox, you're not Mm going to drive up that freeway on the 20th, maybe the 19th. They're, they're just going to close that down unless it's just official uh, traffic. But that, that's my prediction. I don't think that they're going to allow anything past Alamo.
0: No, I don't think so. Um, the word I'm getting, which is secondhand information, is that they're going to be closing down that road, and uh, no one's going to be able to get near it.
1: Thank you so much, Emery. And, uh, so uh, really quick, i got about 90 seconds left. What is next? I know you're shooting uh, this yeah, new okay. uh, docuseries, but, but what's up next?
0: Well, we've got the Patreon coming out, and I uh, have this new show called Insider Report. Um, that'll be out in the next three or four weeks. So take a look at that, uh, check out zerocross.co. Um, that's our production company. You can kind of catch up to, on our new things that are happening and the things that are coming up will be uh, updated. And of course, emerysmith.net and then, um, check out our new episodes on Gaia. You're going to love them.
1: Now, if anybody has any medical questions, uh, about, uh, your technology or what you're doing out there uh where's the best way to reach you
0: well of course on emery um is the best place there's an email there emrysmith smith 33 at gmail um we have a couple people vetting that for, especially for the medical people that need medical attention so those questions kind of come to me first um and you know we kind of put you in the right spot we do have under contact i think it's under contacts, uh one of the files on emrysmith.net has a few of the clinics uh, that I recommend people to go to for these stem cell infusions, such as Regenistem down in Miami, Florida, and Dr. Gali at the Gali Clinic in Torrance, and Dr. Brian Lemper in Las Vegas. Um, These are some of the the docs that I I recommend you guys uh, check out that are using this this type of technology uh, to its
1: fullest. Thank you so much, Emery. Be safe out there. Give my best to Olivia, and uh, we'll be uh, seeing each other soon. Thank you so much. Oh,
0: thank you, Jimmy, for having me. Take care.
1: Great conversation. Emery Smith. Now, emerysmith.net. The links are over at jimmychurchradio.com. Thank you so much, Emery. Great conversation tonight. I think we covered just about every angle, and uh, I just just enjoy talking with Emery. And thank you for that. Tomorrow night, it's going to go down. First time in a month, fader night with open lines all night long. It is my favorite night of the week, and I've been deprived of it. And uh, finally, tomorrow night, we'll be able to take phone calls. It's going to be great. I am your host, Jimmy Church. Fade to Black's executive producer is Rita Camarion. show is produced by Hilton J. Palm, Renee, Dennis, and Bob. Announcers are Steve Harder, Gene Vitoa, Mark D. Kovar. Webmaster is Drew the Geek. Thank you, Drew. Amazing work on the new site. Music is Doug Aldrich. Intro, Space Boy spaceboymusic.com Fade to Black is produced by KJCR for the Game Changer Network and syndication is KGRA, the planet. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted 2019 by Fade to Black and the Game Changer Network. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere in the known universe without written permission from Fade to Black or the Game Changer Network. Our is Jimmy Church. Follow me on Twitter at J Church Radio. You can follow Emery at Emery Smith 33 on Twitter. Until tomorrow night, I want everybody to be safe. Go back Lee Tappy. episode, we are looking at Jimmy Church interviewing one of the most amazing stories. Stay tuned. That's next. Come on quick.